Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Hospitality Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Wells, joined today by co-host Dustin Myers. We are partners at Longitude Branding, a hospitality, branding, and experience design agency. At Future Hospitality, our goal is to interview the brightest minds in the industry, gathering insights, ideas, and inspiration to share with you. Today, we're joined by Rob Blood, founder and president at Lark Hotels, a collection of boutique hotels planted in iconic destinations all throughout the United States. We'll take a peek behind the curtain at Lark Hotels, learning about the history, values, and innovations that have helped them become one of the most well-known hotel management companies in the nation. Let's go ahead and dive in. Robert, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to be here, Jeremy and Dustin. I'm excited for our conversation. Yeah, me too. Uh, we've been following Lark Hotels now for a while, and it's uh, been really neat to just see um, all the all the things you guys are doing in the industry, and um, can't wait to hear a little bit more about that. And um, you know, first, I think we we usually just like to get a little bit of background about uh, who you are um, and kind of your journey through. Uh, you know, over the years and leading up to where you are now. And so if you wouldn't mind, uh, maybe just sharing a little bit of back background about, uh, you know, you and Lark Hotels. I'd be happy to. Um, I think a good starting point is I've always been really obsessed with hospitality. Um, and from a very early age, uh, my parents always had sort of this pipe dream of retiring and opening a bed and breakfast. And um, unfortunately, my dad died fairly young, so they were never able to do that. So I was inspired by uh, the notion of not waiting to uh, try to realize dreams. And so at a pretty young age, when I was, I was 27, um, left, left my job and moved with my girlfriend to an inn on Nantucket moved into the basement and became the innkeepers at the Sherburne Inn. And uh, the inn, inn, inn owners handed over the keys and said, uh, okay, here you go. Uh, so the next morning I was making blueberry muffins and, and uh, breakfast and, and was thrown into the lifestyle. And, you know, the blueberry muffins didn't come out very well, but I learned better the next day. And uh, so at a fairly young age, got into innkeeping and, you know, came to it with a background of, of being an English major, um, having done some teaching and working in higher education administration, but really no uh, formal training. And, and I like to think that um, that experience on Nantucket really formed the foundation of my philosophy around hospitality. Uh, we were lucky to have uh, good mentors on Nantucket. The guy who was the owner was a Harvard Business School graduate. And his wife, Susan, was just an amazing hostess. And, and, and in terms of like training, I couldn't have asked for better. But what was interesting back then is um, a lot of people in, the, in, in that time and still today treated innkeeping as a retirement plan and a way to develop a nest egg uh, for real retirement, for post-innkeeping. And um, Dale and Susan are... are our bosses at the Sherburn Inn really treated it as a viable operating business. So we learned quickly that uh, common adage in, in real estate is location, location, location. 
and that that was true in hospitality too. So anyway, we um, after after our year on on Nantucket, we bought our first inn in Kennebunkport, Maine, the Captain Fairfield Inn, and really again learned all of the ins and outs of the business. We we, we made our own website. We made all the pancakes. We did all the laundry. We did all the cleaning. Really, a very typical in innkeeper owner model. But we felt that there was a a way to update the historic um, meaning of innkeeping. Right. So um, we didn't want a place where uh, it was about us. We wanted a place where guests were able to experience their own type of hospitality to really let their stay experience unfold in the way that they wanted to. Um, so we were, we had um, stayed at other inns where, you know, the innkeeper was all over us and they sat down and ate breakfast with us. And we, we kind of feel, felt like when we were, at least when we were that age, we, we were traveling because we wanted to be with each other. So we really took that model and, um, and grew it at Captain Fairfield Inn. And did other things like added flat panel televisions and great wireless internet. And, and you know, we were the first in in Kennebunkport to have flat panels and wireless and, you know, got ahead of the curve with TripAdvisor and all that kind of stuff. So we were learning as we were going and using Captain Fairfield as our, our test kitchen, if you will. And so pretty quickly after Captain Fairfield, we were we were able to make some money with that property because we we closed on the real estate on June 1st in 2004. So the beginning of the cash flow cycle. And we banked some money and our, our former bosses, Dale and Susan asked if we wanted to go in on another place on Nantucket with them. So in 2006, we bought the Veranda House, which was Nantucket's first boutique hotel. Um, and the rest is sort of history from there. Um, a few years later in 2012, um, I started Lark Hotels with a couple other partners um, who worked with us in branding and marketing. And uh, we launched we launched Lark with four properties in 2012. Uh, from there, uh, people started noticing what we were doing. And we were lucky enough in 2013 at the Atwater in Newport, Rhode Island to win the Condé Nast Hotlist Award. And all of a sudden the idea that innkeeping, or I guess at that point we were calling them boutique hotels could be stylish and design forward and still maintain a really strong local sense of place um, was pretty of the moment. Um, so we started looking at secondary and tertiary markets and opened properties in Portland, Maine and Portsmouth and, and um, Newport, Rhode Island and Martha's Vineyard and really like tried to focus on the idea of this prescriptive hospitality. Yeah, so I think that's really fascinating that your vision was kind of carving out a blue ocean, so to speak, in in the innkeeping, in the in a modernized approach to the bed and breakfast. What were some of the positive or negative influences that helped you see that that could be something uh, worth pursuing? I think that um, we are molded by our experiences for sure. Um, very early on in my travels, we um, we stayed at a bed and breakfast in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I'll, we'll leave it we'll leave it nameless. But <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't think it's still there. But just uh, just to be kind, when when we checked in and we, we found this um, by going to Borders and looking in a bed and breakfast guide. So we we showed up at the door 
quickly discovered that it was actually someone's home and we'd be staying in um, this retired woman's son's bedroom. Uh, <laughs> we were invited in uh, toward the property, showed the common bathroom that had just been carpeted in pink shag with a matching toilet seat and, uh, and immediately thought, what have we done? <laughs> so we went out to dinner and came back and the innkeeper's helper was sitting on the porch and proceeded to tell us for about an hour how he was related to John Adams. <laughs> and then the next morning, you know, during that entire hour, we were thinking to ourselves, how do we get out of this? <laughs> but we're, you know, we're kind people. So we, we stuck it out. <laughs> the next morning, we came down to breakfast and sat down with the innkeeper and her helper. And uh, she pulled this, this saran wrapped patty out of the freezer and all I can say is it kind of looked like a frozen cat food patty. And I don't eat fish, but I think it was some kind of fish cake. And so I had to, I had to choke down the, the mystery uh, fish patty um, in the presence of the innkeeper. And it really, it really didn't resonate. So that was a formative experience and really shaped my thinking around what I wanted to do when we were creating a portfolio of small hotels and inns which is simply to give people a choice. Um, you know, all of our properties have individual tables versus communal tables for people to enjoy breakfast. And they're, you know, they're not separated by more than a few inches, but it's like you could have a wall there on some mornings if you want it. And I think, you know, we've had tons of travel experiences over this, and everywhere we go um, when we're traveling and helps get ideas but really, going back to the the initial hospitality experience that I had on Nantucket, so I learned the fun, that fundamentally these businesses can be run as businesses and can be lucrative and and if treated professionally, there there's a way to operate smaller hotels in secondary and tertiary seasonal markets in a profitable way. And so we've really made our made our business philosophy work around that idea. Um, in 2012, when we started Lark, we had four properties and we were lucky enough to attract some nice media attention, which allowed us to grow and attract other investors and folks who wanted their properties to be developed and managed by us. Um, and so I think that you know, we've grown nicely over the last few years. We grew from from 12 hotels in a couple of states to 28 across most of the Northeast and in Florida. And it all goes back to that time at Captain Fairfield Inn where we bought a property with 100% leverage. Uh, you know, my mom loaned us the down payment and we did an SBA loan and uh, traditional financing. And we needed to know what a square of toilet paper cost because every cent counted. And when you're running small hotels, every cent counts. So it wasn't, I wasn't uh, fortunate enough to go to Cornell Hotel School or anything like that, but I do attribute a lot of where we've come, where we've, where we've come from where we've been, which is that of you know, being innkeepers and, and knowing, the, knowing the small hotel business inside and out. Yeah, that's really great. That that's, sounds like a, a pretty interesting journey. I'm so curious, uh, Rob, like what was the, you said you opened your first the first boutique hotel in 2006, and then you started Lark in 2012. What happened in that six year period? Uh, what are some 
things that you learned or things that you had to go through to, to kind of get to the point in 2012 where you decided to start Lark? So that was a great period of time. It's when I, I, I feel like I really expanded my hospitality chops during that time. Um, we had, um, my girlfriend at the time, and I had moved out of the inn at that point, our first management couple. Again, thinking about how a little bit. Um, but between 2006 and 2012, I consulted position a, a 28-room hotel on Martha's Vineyard. I helped to develop um, and operate, find operational efficiencies in a luxury resort in Kenny Bunkport. And the most sort of off-track experience I had was I worked with a, a high net worth individual who, who lived in Kenny Bunkport but had a portfolio of hospitality properties in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So I became the owner's rep for this gentleman who had a 175,000 square foot, four points by Sheraton, uh, a Hampton Inn and a golf course. And I don't golf and I'm not a big brand guy, but I had the most amazing experience working with this, with this gentleman. He put this portfolio in my hands and said, I, don't, I need you to help me with my hotels. And we haven't been doing that well, and I feel like they need to be repositioned, but I don't know what I don't know what to do. And so I, I became the owner's rep. Um, we did a, a five million dollar pip on the four points, which was on the verge of being kicked out of the Starwood system. And and we we created the second best Western premiere in the country, and we chose best Western because. Uh, we were essentially allowed to do whatever we wanted. We could create an independent hotel and fly under their flag. And so I brought my, my colleagues along with me. I'd been working with this great couple um, to do branding and marketing on our smaller hotels. And uh, a friend of mine who was a residential designer. And we, we repositioned uh, that, that four points into the, the central hotel and conference center, a Best Western premier property and just learned so much about brand standards and working with larger companies. And we really solidified our team from a design operations and marketing and branding perspective doing that project. Um, so it turns out it, it worked out really well. It's the, it, it was the number 47 hotel in Harrisburg today. It's the number two hotel. Um, and what we figured out is that we really wanted to work together. Um, these, these four folks and I, and, and so that led to, and, and, and so that was my last consulting job. I, I got tired of chasing the next one. And, um, so that was, I feel like that was 2011. So we started looking for properties and I just pitched, I pitched to these guys, I said, guys, why don't we do this? Why don't we just start a small collection of boutique hotels? We've got operations, we've got design, we've got construction, we've got branding and marketing. It seems like, we've been doing this for the last 10 years. So why don't we just get into the game and do it? And so that, I think that, you know, during that time, we were able to work with other people to really pull our vision together to launch, launch Lark in 2012. Yeah. That's a, that's a great story of the journey there. Um, great insight. And I, you know, I, you can definitely tell that there's something unique and different about Lark hotels and the way that you, like you said, they're designed, how they're operated. Um, and you know, it's just something really special there. I'm curious, what are some like evergreen 
um, pillars or guiding principles or just ways that you keep your team and the and the brands that you have in your collection aligned? That's a great, a great, I, I'm going to talk about that from two perspectives. One, I'm going to talk about it from a hospitality perspective, um, because that's, that's who we are. We always talk about the fact that you know, the building and the design is just the foundation of what we do. Um, but the people and our hospitality and the care that we show is what brings people back. And we always are much more proud about reviews that we read and feedback we get when they're talking about the connection, um, guests are talking about the connection with our hosts and our housekeepers and our guest experience team than we are when they talk about a great mattress or heavenly sheets or whatever it may be. So for Lark, the core, the core of who we are and the thread that connects our hotels is the story and soul that we that we tease out through design, architecture, scent, service, um, sense of place, food, programming, um, and personality. And you know, we we want to be the antithesis of the standard box hotel where you walk in and you could be anywhere in the country. And I think there's a place for those, for the business traveler. But even now, I think people are looking for unique. And so while no, no two Lark hotels are alike, they do all have a, a feel about them that would allow you to identify them as a Lark. And I think that's because we spend a lot of time developing the story. And this is something that you guys do so well through your branding um, and storytelling that I think you understand really well what I'm talking about, that the notion that everything that you do in a hotel or restaurant or hospitality environment should tie in some way back to the story that you're trying to tell. And so I think that's the common thread um, on, the, on the overall philosophy. Uh, we always say that Lark hotels embrace the locations they're in, but in playful and unexpected ways. Um, you know, sense of place with imagination, touch of mischief. We want to be in iconic locations. Um, we want people to have a service, attentive service when they want it, but privacy when they don't. And we really like to play in the idea of the nostalgia that you feel when you have had a great experience. Um, and that goes to the people as well. So that's that's one piece. And then then our sort of pillars of hospitality are the idea of authentic interaction, care for our guests and the team, and validation. And so care, authenticity, and validation are all things that we try to do and instill on a daily basis in our hotels. Um, and that shows in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, at, at the very core of humanity is I think our, our, how we feel when we're validated, when you walk into your favorite restaurant and you don't have to ask for your first drink or, you know, the bartender asks how your day was and knows your kids. Um, and so there's nothing better than when you walk into a hotel and you're recognized on a human to human level. And I think that that, again, we're, we're not, um, you know, my friend Bashar 
Wally always talks about, we're not ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen anymore. We're just humans, humans trying to be hosts for other humans. And I think that that's one of our cores as well. Yeah, that's, that's really fascinating. And I think that that comes through in the properties um, that we've seen. How has that been challenged or how do you see that evolving in light of the recent pandemic and um, just the shift to the industry? Yeah, good question. And that's, that's one question we've been asking ourselves a lot. In fact, I was just talking with Peter, who's our CEO this morning about that. And he said, Rob, you know, we've been asked that question a lot and we're asking ourselves that question a lot. And I truly think it's not going to change that much. Um, our cores, our cores are going to remain the same. And, you know, I think that when you, we, what we might have to add and what we've been talking about a lot in that core, the care, authenticity and um, validation, but we're going to have to add a layer of um, transparent cleanliness will have to be like a fourth pillar there. But I do think that people can be validated and, and we've moved in so many ways to a digital world that the hotel industry hasn't caught up with. So, um, you know, we're used to communicating each, with each other by text. You know, the last time I picked up my phone and I didn't know what the number was, I can't even remember. Um, I think that we don't even care to get voicemails anymore. So I think that the world has shifted and now we follow a little bit. Um, just before the pandemic occurred, we were getting ready to roll out 24 hour texting at all of our hotels. Um, I think that people are accustomed to interacting in this way and we can still provide care and validation and authenticity through digital means. Um, we're still gonna be um, working to be socially close while remaining physically distant to our guests. And so while the logistics may change a bit and certainly the check-in procedure and initial uh, guest touch points will be more separate um, than they have been. I think it's just about making sure that warmth, kindness, and care can be translated through words that are typed rather than smiles that are behind masks. And I, I just think I believe so much in the people that we work with that you'll be able to stand in one of our hotels, close your eyes, and still feel the environment, even if there's a plexiglass shield or you have to see the, you know, see the smile in our eyes instead of on our, on our mouth. Yeah. It's going to be really fascinating to kind of see, you know, and everyone has their own predictions about what the, the future of hospitality is going to look like. And, um, you know, technology, as you mentioned, I think is going to be a huge piece of that. And, you know, that, that kind of is a great segue, I think, into kind of one of our, our final questions about, you know, the future of the industry. What does that look like, you know, to you? What things are exciting to you about the future, like, you know, potential opportunities or do you have any insight there that you could share? So I, I, I think so. You'll have to tell me if it's good insight or not, but I'll share. Um, I think I think the, the future of the industry is more in our space than large convention hotel space. I think that that larger is not necessarily better in this thing that we call the new normal. I feel that that 
travel and the hospitality world will certainly rebound. It's one of the oldest industries in the in the world. And I do I do feel like there's a path to recovery. And I think once we recover, maybe some things will shift a little bit. I, I don't think that this is a one or two year uh, situation that we're going to have to adapt to. I think that I think that things will be be different for quite some time. And I think what that means is people are going to travel to places that they trust, um, that they have a connection to, that they've been before. Uh, I think certainly in the near term, uh, people are going to be more comfortable getting in their car and driving somewhere than getting on a plane, a train, or a bus. And so I think that regional travel is going to be very, very quick to recover as compared to um, longer, longer trips or longer distances or international travel. Um, I think that you know, for me personally, while I, I, I do believe that I, I have trust and I feel trust in, in brands like Marriott and Hyatt and Hilton, and I trust that if I travel to one of their properties, it's going to be clean. I still am, I still think that I will feel more comfortable at smaller properties with fewer people and you know places where I can get to my guest room by going on the stairs instead of the elevator. So in the last couple of weeks, um, we've had a lot of inbound interest from larger groups who are interested in getting into smaller hotels. And so I see that I see that as a as a direction that the industry is going to go. And to an extent, it was going in that direction anyway. I mean, you see, you see in the 30 Marriott brands or however many they have, there's some small independent-like brands in there. Same with Hilton. Um, you know, I stayed at a I stayed at a place called The Wick in Hudson, New York, which is a 50-room uh, Marriott property. Um, that's a, a place that they never would have played 10 years ago. And so I think it's going in that direction anyway. And I think that it will go, I think, I think smaller, more intimate and controlled environments and secondary and tertiary markets. I think we're going to see a lot more interest from the big players in those spaces. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think we've been seeing that trend and this is just going to accelerate it so much more. So, uh, good on you for kind of being already headed in that direction. Cause I think, I think it's going to be really good. I'm excited to see how it evolves and, um, how it looks five, 10 years from now. Jeremy, you know, the, the one other thing I was just thinking about, I feel like, I feel like in some ways, um, what, what this time period has done for us is cemented some of the values that the country's had before the importance of family, um, the time we've spent together. And I don't think that's going to go away. I hope it's not going to go away. And so going back to that piece of, about nostalgia that I was talking about, I feel like there's, there's already the idea of nostalgia around the freedom of the open road and, and the idea of a road trip, rolling down the windows, letting the music blare, your hair's flying. And, and I think that multi-point itineraries could become an interesting travel opportunity um, you know, for us, start out in Newport, Rhode Island, head to Portland, Maine, and then get up to Stowe, Vermont on a, on a week-long road trip with your family. And I think that nostalgia for the freedom to move about is going to inspire travel. Um, again, the regional travel that we, we just talked about. 
Yeah, definitely. There's, I'm sure there'll be some sort of resurgence of like the roadside motel and things like that. I hope so. <laughs> Rob, um, coming into our final question here, um, you know, we talked about, you, you briefly kind of talked about the insights into what you think could be the future of hospitality as an industry. What about the future of you and future of Lark? What do you guys have in store? What excites you about that? Thanks for asking. I think um, just uh, the most immediate thing that comes to mind, I got a couple things to share. We closed on a, a portfolio of inns in Kennebunkport, Maine. They're actually the, the neighbors to the Captain Fairfield Inn that we talked about at the beginning of our chat. Um, what, what I viewed as a once in a lifetime or perhaps a generation um, opportunity came about where three other historic captain's inns in our neighborhood came available. Um, so we purchased them in January, which certainly in retrospect wasn't the best timing to close on a portfolio of inns. Um, but we've been able to pivot and we're going to be bringing them into a collection called the Kennebunkport Captain's Collection. It will be 62 rooms across four buildings, these beautiful historic ship captain's mansions. Um, and where Meg and, and our son and I, our, our baby boy, were just up in Kennebunkport this weekend, staying at Captain Jefferson to begin the design process. Uh, we have our own design company called Elder and Ash. And so we, we were just diving in and spending the weekend there um, was a great change of pace because we've been thinking about logistics and how we keep people clean and safe and how we check people in virtually, but to shift our focus to what's next from a creative and design perspective was really refreshing and regenerating. So we're going to start construction there now instead of the winter because we, we really have very little business to speak of. And so we figured why not just get it, get it rolling. And so that's that Kenny Bunkport captain's collection is our next project, but we've also been working steady, steadily to develop a pipeline of projects in the Southeast, which, um, we're going to turn our, our, um, our focus back to, uh, we're looking at opportunities in Savannah and Charleston and, and Beaufort, South Carolina, and feel like there's a real opportunity for us to, to expand the Lark footprint to the Southeast and the mid Atlantic in a similar fashion to what we've done in new England. Um, so we're just going to keep doing it. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing. We are working on the rollout of a couple new brands that uh, it's still a little too early to talk about. One will be a hard brand and one will be a softer collection brand as well, like Lark. Um, but I think that in this time of uncertainty, uh, we're pretty excited about opportunities that are on the horizon for us. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. We, we, as I, I've listened to your other, your other podcasts and uh, have been listening to a lot of other people and, and the reality is none of us really know. We're only speculating and hoping. Um, all I can say is to the T, everyone I talk to is excited and ready to move things forward in a safe way. And, and we're right along alongside them. So I, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to, have spent some time with you guys. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much for joining us. Thank you, Rob. You bet. Take care, guys. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Future Hospitality Podcast. If you enjoyed today's topic and episode, please leave us a review. You can also find us on Instagram at Future Hospitality. 
and on Facebook by searching for Future Hospitality. 